0: Welcome to the Fathom Academy
1: podcast, a podcast designed for the people of Fathom Church to be resourced to go deeper with God. I'm Kyle. I'm the youth and digital minister here at Fathom. Thank you again for listening in wherever you are. Uh, for the third straight episode, we have our friend Pastor, Professor Ryan Tafalowski. Ryan, thank you again for joining us. Hey, good to be back. <laughs> and we have Pastor Chris with us as well.
2: Ooh, is here. <laughs> uh, who is always here. Who is always here.
1: So a couple episodes ago, we talked about child dedications. Um, last episode, we talked about baptism. And so hopefully you've listened to both of those. This kind of goes hand in hand with some of those things that we've been talking about. But um, w- we really want to talk about a topic that um, maybe you haven't thought of, but I'm, this is, this is a very, um, I think deep topic and something that um, means a lot to, I think Christians Um, figuring out like what, what happens? What, like, what do we do when, when a child dies or not really, what do we do with that? But when a child dies, when, um, when there's, A miscarriage that happens, um, during a pregnancy, uh, when, when someone who has kind of mental disabilities that they can't profess their, their faith in Jesus Christ, when, when they die, like just, it's a big, it's kind of a big topic, all encompassing of, of what, what happens to those people? What happens in those situations? Um, when, when an, when an infant dies, like, do they, do they go to heaven? Th- those sorts of things. That's kind of the big question. We're just, we're just going to kind of go off that and see where this takes us. But um glad to have uh, Ryan and Chris here to talk about this. So who, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. And who wants to start this one first? Do, are there things we need to define? Are there things we need to get, get right me, first? Yeah.
2: Let me add on this, Ryan. So, so we, we, we originally talked about like the, the term the age of accountability, which I think is, at least a pop Mm. Christian version of something. Ryan, do you know anything about the historicity or where that may have come from, where that may have originated? I mean, I imagine it's post Roman Catholic because of their understanding of the sacrament of baptism as preventing an innocent from Mm. dealing with original sin.
0: Yeah, this is a live question pretty early on. Uh, You see it discussed at length in someone like Augustine who is very, very concerned with the question of what happens to children who are outside of a state of grace, unbaptized children. Um, These are, there's a question he's thinking about pretty seriously and you see it all the way through debates about election and predestination through the reformation Uh, age of accountability language. I'm not exactly sure where that originates, but the concept is an ancient one. Okay. Yeah. So it's been around for a while is this idea, yeah, what do,
2: what happens with someone who's able unable to um make a genuine profession of faith? Um are they saved? Are they mm-hmm. born again, you know? Uh, if you believe in your heart and proclaim with your mouth that, you know, Jesus is Lord, uh, you will be saved. So what if they can't? Mm-hmm. Or uh aren't given the chance. So, uh yeah. I open that up. I mean, I've got my opinions on it, but I I'd, I'd love to know I'd love to know Ryan theologically uh wh- what kind of like what do we think th- how do we think through this what categories do we uh, begin to draw on what doctrines do we draw on in this because there's not I mean mm-hmm. we'll get we can get to the scriptures but there's not a lot to go on mm-hmm. in the scriptures
0: Oh no you're right the the first thing i would say is we are treading on very mysterious ground here mm-hmm. and i would w- just want to say any conclusion we'd want to draw cannot be undertaken with any sort of glibness um, or flippancy. It's a serious question that has serious pastoral implications. So I want to be really sensitive to that. And I think, as you say, if you look up in in your index or your concordance in your study Bible, what happens to someone who can't articulate their faith and they die? You're not going to find a scripture. There isn't one that speaks directly to this question. Now, there are a few stories and a few sort of passing comments that give us hints of what God might do in a situation like this. But I think the place to go here theologically is to think about God's character. How has God revealed himself to be? What kind of God do we have? Is this a God? Who delights in the death of the innocent? No. He says this over and over and over. This is the one of the ways that he contrasts himself with the false gods of Canaan. I don't want your kids. I don't delight, he says, in the death of the wicked. So this is a God who to whom every single life matters. Hmm. I think that's important to say. I think the doctrine of the resurrection reinforces that. It means that no single life is forgotten. God has a record of every human life in, in his heart, we might say. Uh, so it's in God's innermost being to keep track of his creation in this way. So I think that's important to say. Um, and I will say, anytime you see a story in the Bible where there is some question about the fate of people who just really are not in a position to know God in this kind of way. All of those stories indicate that this is a God of grace rather than a God of judgment. Mm. Um, and there's a couple stories we could think about together that suggest this, uh, a couple that come to mind is, oh, when David has a, a child by Bathsheba, uh, who is going to die, he knows the child's going to die. Um, he still suggests that he says that after the child dies, he says I may I'm going to go to the child, but the child's not going to come to me, which suggests that this child is in the presence of God. Another interesting story is at the end of Jonah, where where you've got this whole city of Ninevites, right? These are Assyrians; these are Israel's sworn enemies, and Jonah is absolutely scandalized and furious by God's grace to these people. He says, uh, "Am I going to destroy these people? They're like animals. They can't tell their right from their left, the implication being, "I'm going to be merciful to them." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, a similar story with, the, with Sodom and Gomorrah, where you have Abraham kind of bargaining with God about the fate of Abraham, uh, fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, "Well, what if you find 50 innocent people there? Or what if you find 20? What mm-hmm. if you find 10?" Mm-hmm. And then I always think about the line that Abraham leaves the dialogue with. He's being depicted as being with God, God's presence, and then they go their separate ways. And it's not clear what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? That's mm. the line he gives. And I think that's as good as any, an indication of God's character. Mm. He's going to do what is right. Um, you can count on that, whatever else. Yeah. I've spoken for too long, which is what I do when I'm not sure about something. So yeah, this is, help. I mean, this is tenuous
2: theological yeah. ground. Um, I think you're right to base. I think you were right to base, uh, the assumption, uh, that God, I think, I think we're right to base this conversation around the character of God, mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost, mm-hmm. because God will not be contrary to himself. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I'm thinking back to even the Fathom Academy class where we're talking about God first, and then everything else falls into place after that. Yeah. I think that's very important to note here. Um, that there's not like technicalities right. with God, uh, right? Like th- there's not like you can somehow juke him into all right, letting you in because you did you did the right. You know, like you're not gonna fool him. He is not like um, you're not gonna trick him. He's not like you can manipulate him. Uh, he he will be himself i am who i am it's mm. built into his very uh name into his very existence um and so uh so i think that's right um i i think that some some might question well then maybe you know this opens up a door like i think out of fear uh, some people might say oh this opens up a door for well what about people who never heard the the, the name of christ you know mm. what about you know the tribesmen of this village mm. in the middle of nowhere like that, that's, that's, I think where the, the snowball can start to go. And uh, it makes me think of Romans one. And yeah. uh, you know, that, that, that there are those who are, there are those who are left with no excuse. Mm. Um, that is a different, a different place than, um, than what I think we're talking
0: about here. Uh, I do think it's related actually though. And I'm glad you brought it up because Romans one's an interesting place to look. And so is Acts chapter 17, which is Paul on Mars Hill. Yeah. And those texts suggest to me that Paul's making argument that people are responsible only for the revelation that they have, not for what they don't have. Mm. And that could be a useful way for thinking about this question, right? Paul says in Acts 17 or, or is it in Romans 1? 1, one or the other place. Oh man, I think I think it's Acts 17 where he says that in former times, God overlooked the ignorance of the people. Hmm. But now that the truth of Jesus is made known, they're responsible to that standard of knowledge. And I think analogously, you could say of a child, they're only responsible for what they know, not for what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, I don't want to nail down an age of accountability like it's 13 or something. But I do think that's where that concept becomes helpful. Can an infant, if God is just be expected to to be able to articulate saving faith of course not yeah it's not consistent with god's character he overlooks the ignorance i think yeah yeah that's really helpful i think i think that's
2: that's i mean and so so i don't know where um where a systematic theologian is going to fall on this uh, but I, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the the second Samuel passage that you referred to with, with King David and, mm-hmm. um, and that infant as, um, David seems to believe, and I, and you can speak into this as uh, a scholar more than I could, but David seems to believe that, um, this child who is an infant, very, very young, who dies right after birth, um, seems to believe that that child is in some sort of paradise, eternity, whatever it might be mm-hmm. in in his worldview at that point, mm-hmm. we might just call it heaven. Okay. Um, in and the presence uh, of God, that's right. The presence of God. I mean, Abraham's bosom, you know, uh, yeah. or as Jesus says to the dying man on the cross, the thief on the cross, you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Right. So there's mm-hmm. this legitimacy that I think David would, it's kind of analogous there. Yeah. Um, and, David believes that he will be reunited with that son. Mm-hmm. Um, now, am I going to bank all my chips in on that being the the doctrine that I'm going to hold to for the rest of my life? I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. but it seems to be in line with God's character. Mm-hmm. It seems to be in line with my understanding of, um, mm-hmm. of eternity that, that that child's not coming back Uh, and so David can stop fasting Mm -hmm. because it ain't happening though, you know, miracles of Jesus might prove otherwise. Um, but at the same time, he, he really does. He, he washes his faith. He takes food and he, and he goes and sleeps with Bathsheba again and produces Solomon. I mean, that's essentially Mm -hmm. what happens, but, uh, but he's, he's not cast down, even though he's still in mourning. He is not cast down in the same way that he was because his hope is restored His hope is restored in an afterlife not in the current life Mm. in that moment uh so that will lead me i mean and and i you know i've talked about this from the pulpit but we've had a miscarriage marcy miscarried uh before we ended up having harper and so do i believe that that child is a, a human being yes i believe life begins at conception and do i believe that that child is with god Yes, I believe that child is with God and that in some mysterious way at the resurrection, I will be reunited with that child Mm. and at some level know Mm. him or her.
0: Mm. Yeah, it speaks to a broader question, too, that you raise. What what is a human being? What does it mean to say that a human being is created in the image of God? I think in the history of Christian doctrine, we have defined that doctrine in in ways that are helpful, but also in ways that are unhelpful, in ways that we didn't anticipate. And historically, what we have meant by the image of God in the Western theological tradition is basically someone who has cognitive faculties like reason, complex language, um, being able to, to uh, grasp uh, conceptual ideas, basically we've, uh, we've identified the image of God with rational faculties. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense on some levels, but it's actually tremendously problematic in other ways. That's because right. w- what do you say about that? Uh, this child who never got a chance at life? Was that not an image bearer? Or what do you say so, mm-hmm. to someone who's had an accident or has some sort of cognitive impairment and can't articulate their faith in any sort of rational way? Is that not an image bearer? Well, plainly not right? that That's a person who is fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. And this has prompted theologians, especially in recent years, to start saying, are there other ways we can think about the image of God? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Well, one interpretation has been to interpret it what's called teleologically, meaning what makes that child an image bearer? It is what that child will become in the presence of Jesus. And mm-hmm. so Linking it to the resurrection is one helpful way to think about it. Actually, mm. uh, you will know that child as he or she was always meant to mm. be. Yeah, that that child would be perfectly
2: whole. Yeah, um, well, and that's been my understanding of the Imago Dei is that, and this is and this is play playing out in culture when we start talking about race right mm-hmm. now, and we start talking about. Uh, gender right yep. now I mean all of these live issues that we've been discussing a little bit at, at least here at fathom um all are foundationally rooted in the Amago day in mm-hmm. Genesis 2 and mm-hmm. uh and the 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 creation uh the the breathing of God's image into our first parents yeah um that's a and that's a that's a big deal doctrine that feeds into all of these things and actually I mean we we, we I've said it before in sermons and and we believe it that that um that we are not the same as the animals mm-hmm. that that every human life regardless of mental capacity mm-hmm. of faculty of reason mm-hmm. of ability of IQ of uh of uh, and and you've seen this you've seen the image of god doctrine and Ryan you did your phd in some of this mm-hmm. um Vastly devalued, and it allows for atrocities in the name of Christ. Oh,
0: absolutely. Um, yeah. But anytime but, we associate
2: it with utility of any kind, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, and and take the most magnificent animal that you want. I mean, the most magnificent. Take take your dog that you love, that like you know knows you and loves you, and I eats don't like from my you. dog. You don't like your dog. He's I like a different example. Dog. Yes. <laughs> um, take 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 those chimps that can like you know, paint pictures and, or, or take an app, ath- like, you know, I, I've heard, it, I've heard the illustration use, like take sea biscuit like um, an amazing, <laughs> like, ho- like the bread for perfection uh. and race. Oh, take any, take that standard of animal and put it up against whatever you would think the least version of a human being is. And they are still an image ba- bearer mm. created to be over creation, mm. not the same, not on the same playing mm. field. Mm. Um, and I think God cares about that. Like, I just think he cares about that. Um, and in his character, um, would not let that, uh, knows the, knows the hairs on their head, you know, can count them like knows them from the mother's womb. Like, I mean, it's, it's yeah. the argument for life and life eternal.
0: Well, and as you've been speaking, I've been thinking of this passage. Oh, what it's Ezekiel 16 or 17 where God, he's talking about his election of Israel, but I think it makes a broader point about God's character. He says, it's a very graphic sort of image. He says, when I found you, he's talking to Israel, he says, you were an infant, you weren't washed yet. You were kicking in your blood. Mm -hmm. You were gasping for air and nobody cared for you, right? You had been left there. And he said, I found you. And I said to you, live, right? Mm -hmm. And it's this image of God, choosing this infant before the infant has done anything at all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the infant is utterly helpless. And God says, I love you like that. Um, and I think even though, you know, to be responsible exegetically, I need to say the immediate context he's talking about the election of Israel, of course, the promises he's made to Israel is his, his firstborn. But I think it does give you a tremendous insight into God's character that Um, that he is a God who puts the fatherless in homes. He says who adopts infants uh, who creates life where there's only going to be death. And I think it changes the conversation. If that's who God is, as opposed to a God, like you said, who's, who's make who's got a checklist of technicalities, right? This child died. Before they said the Jesus prayer at camp, <laughs> sorry, I'd like to let them in, but I can't. Mm, yeah, we also have to understand the immense freedom of the God of the Bible. This is the God who does what He wants. Yeah, them. yeah. So I don't know, man. I
2: feel like that's I don't know. There's much more to say on this mm. other than kind of what we what's been said. I mean, I think as a pastor, I'll probably have to lean my ha- lean my hand there. Like yeah. I, like I have to say it from my own heart. When I think about our you know lost child, mm-hmm. but i also I have to think about that for every person in our church and pastorally um that i I think an innocent is elect, yeah,
0: will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? yeah, an idea. Well, and we'll leave it at
2: that. Yeah. I mean, I know, <laughs> it's may, may, I don't know that unless you think of something else, right? I think with another to... five
0: minutes, we could have solved it, but I think we're out of time. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. We don't have five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tough break.
1: Yeah. Tough break. Um, so church, hopefully listening to this was educational. Um, thank you again, Ryan, for being here for the third straight episode. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, thank you, Pastor Chris. Uh, if you have any... Uh, any questions about all this feel free to reach out to us Mm -hmm. um uh, we'd love to to talk to you about this um but thank you church again for listening and we'll catch you next time